0: Hi, my name is Beth Tappan. I'm the Women's Ministry Coordinator here at King's Cross, and you're listening to the podcast from King's Cross Church in Charleston, South Carolina. We are working our way through the entire Bible during 2023 in a sermon series called The Story. For more information about our church or to find resources related to the story, visit kingscross.org. Good morning my name is Andy and uh, that's already been said but I'm one of the elders here so one of the non-staff elders I don't carry the full-time load like Pastor Chip and Pastor Josh do but I love the opportunity to be to serve in a church that I love so we're gonna look at the book of Job this morning The whole book of Job in an hour, well less than an hour, in 40 minutes. I was scaring some people here. We're going to look at the whole book of Job and I would encourage you uh, to have your Bibles open if you have them or if you have the Bible app on your phone because there's some long passages of scripture and they're not going to be up there on the screen. So get ready here. In one particular way 2023 has been a hard year, for me at least. Let me explain. You see, I quickly check the news before I go to work. I also get alerts about breaking news during the day on my phone. And nothing gives me immediate chills like the news of a mass shooting. Every time my response is, what can be done to stop this? The Associated Press reports that so far in 2013, U.S. mass killings are on a record pace. That's not encouraging. We're averaging one per week. And one particular event has brought me a lot of grief. On March 27, six people were killed at Covenant School in Nashville, Tennessee. These included three very young students, the head of the school, a substitute teacher, and the custodian. Now, I know people in Nashville that are involved with that school. And so it hit home for me harder, but it also hit home because that school is made up of people who are believers in Jesus Christ. They're part of our tribe. They're part of us. And the question that came up is, there is tremendous loss here. And that's why we suffer, because ultimately when we run into adversity and hard things happen, it creates some sort of loss in our life, and we suffer. So how do parents, marriage partner, family, friends, and a community make sense of that type of suffering in Nashville? Well, you know, Job was a man who literally lost everything. Family, wealth, and health. Job also lost hope. And so the big biblical truth today is this. What we get out of the book of Job is, when you lose hope, hope in God. Today I want to give you five key words which will help you make sense of what the book about this man, Job, and the book is named after him, what it says about hope in the middle of your suffering. And we live in a broken world, so I know that all of you know about the reality of suffering to some degree. So the first key word is this. The first key word is warfare. Warfare can dim your hope. Look what it says about Job in verse 1. There was a man in the land of Oz whose name was Job, and that man was blameless and upright, Upright, one who feared God and turned away from evil. Blameless and upright is the description of this man we're learning about. Now we go on to see in the beginning of this book that Job had many children and he had great wealth. And in verse 3 we say this, we see this that this man was the greatest of all the people in the East. He was the greatest of all the people in the world in that region of the world. (coughs) Amazing man. So now we're going to start out front-loaded on Scripture here, and I'm going to read some large chunks, so listen well and... um, Follow along if you have your your Bible with you, because this really sets the stage for understanding the whole book. I'm beginning in verse 6 of chapter 1. Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them. The Lord said to Satan, From where have you come? Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro on the earth, and from walking up and down on it. And the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? Now listen to this description here. There is none like him on the earth. A blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil. So not only was he the greatest man in his region in terms of the reputation in his region, but God says there was none like him on the earth. Then Satan answered the Lord and said, Does Job fear God for no reason? Have you not put a hedge around him and his house and all that he has on every side? Have you blessed the work of his hands, and his possessions have increased in the land? But stretch out your hand and touch all that he has, and he will curse you to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, Behold, all that he has is in your hand. Only against him do not stretch out your hand. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. This is the starting point to understanding the book of Job. We are getting a glimpse into something that was going on in the kingdom of heaven at that time, where Satan, and that name literally means the adversary, comes into the kingdom of heaven and challenges God. Let's keep going here. Verse 13. Now there was a day when his sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house, and there came a messenger to Job and said, the oxen were plowing and the donkeys feeding beside them. And the Sabians fell upon them and took them and struck down the servants with the edge of the sword, and I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was yet speaking, look at how rapid fire this disaster is coming. There came another and said, The fire of God fell from heaven and burned up the sheep and all the servants and consumed them. And I alone have escaped to tell you. When the Bible repeats things, it's emphasizing something here. Again, repetition. While he was yet speaking, there came another and said, The Chaldeans formed three groups and made a raid on the camels and took them and struck down the servants with the edge of the sword. And I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was yet speaking, there came another and said, Your sons and daughters were eating and drinking and wine in their eldest brother's house. And behold, a great wind came across the wilderness and struck the four corners of the house, and it fell upon the young people and they are all dead and I alone have escaped to tell you. Then Job arose and tore his robe and shaved his head and fell on the ground and worshipped. And he said, Naked I came from my mother's womb and naked shall I return. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Now, Pay close attention here. In all this, Job did not sin or charge God with evil doing. Okay? The setting of this book is spiritual warfare. Let's keep going. Beginning with 2 verse 1. And then there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord. By the way, the sons of God, there, this is the kingdom of heaven. That's talking about the angels. And Satan also came among them to present himself before the Lord. And the Lord said to Satan, From where have you come? Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro on the earth and from walking up and down on it. Sound familiar? Here we go again. And the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? There is none like him on the earth. Repetition again, driving the point home, blameless and upright, a blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil. He still holds fast his integrity, although you have incited me against him to destroy him without reason. Then Satan answered the Lord and said, Skin for skin, all that a man has he will give for his life. But stretch out your hand and touch his bone and his flesh, and he will curse you to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, Behold, he is in your hand, only spare his life. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. And what did he do next? And struck Job with loathsome sores from the sole of his foot to the crown of his head. And he took a piece of broken pottery with which to scrape himself while he sat in the ashes. Then his wife said to him, Do you still hold fast your integrity? She told, him, she told him to do exactly what Satan said Job would do. She says, curse God and die. But he said to her, for you speak as one of the foolish woman would speak. Shall we receive good from God and shall we not receive evil? All that, all, in all this, Job did not sin with his lips. You see the setting here is spiritual warfare. There is a conflict in the kingdom of heaven between God and Satan. Now, this is not a sermon about Satan slash the devil. However, there's a few things I want you to know about him. If you have your Bibles and you can turn there, turn to 2 Corinthians 4.4. 2nd Corinthians 4 4 it says this in their case the God of this world referring to the devil the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ who is the image of God So the first thing we need to know about Satan, God has allowed Satan to have some degree of dominion or rule in the world. Now I can't answer all your questions about why, but one thing I do know, God is allowing this at this time because he knows that it will help us and other people see God's glory and see his goodness displayed towards us. So, God has allowed Satan to have a degree of rule in this world. That's why he's called the God, small g, of this age. Look what else it says about Satan. Turn to 1 Peter 5, 8, if you can turn that fast, or else just listen here. It says this, 1 Peter five, eight. Be sober minded and be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls among you among, around you like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Like a roaring lion. And the images of a lion seeking to devour you first by swiping at you with his claws and neutralizing you and then eventually devouring you. That's Satan's agenda. But look what else it says. In 2 Corinthians chapter 11.4, it says that Satan masquerades as an angel of light. So the fact is that even though Satan is fierce, most of the time he's trying to trick you. And the biggest way he can trick you is to make you believe that he doesn't exist or he isn't a problem. But let me tell you this. God is stronger than Satan. The image we have here of spiritual warfare is not like the cartoons where a little angel sits on one shoulder and a little devil sits on the other shoulder and whispers into our ear and they're both of equal power. God is stronger than Satan. Okay, so this is... Not a sermon about Satan or the devil. And it's not a sermon exclusively about spiritual warfare. But there's some things you need to understand about spiritual warfare. The conflict between God and Satan. And that is seen most clearly in the New Testament in some teaching by the Apostle Paul in Ephesians 6. And in Ephesians 6, Paul writes this. Ephesians 6 verses ten verse ten. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God while you that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Our primary warfare is being waged in the unseen world. But that unseen world is just as real as the material world we live in. And it comes into it. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in this evil day, having done all to the stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and shoes your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of grace. All the circumstances take up the shield In all circumstances take up the shield of faith which which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit which is the word of God. Praying at all times in the spirit. So that's a picture of what spiritual warfare looks like. How do we do our part in fighting that battle? And here's how we do it. Here's what that picture of the armor means. What it if you look at the terms there, what how we fight spiritual warfare is by understanding and applying the truth of who we are in Christ. What has God brought about in our lives as a result of coming to faith in Jesus, being converted, and the Holy Spirit coming to live inside of us? So how we fight warfare ultimately is to go back to those basic things and have an understanding of who we are in Christ. Now, there's a few things to know as we read Job here. First of all, what we read about here about in Job regarding Satan entering the kingdom of heaven and challenging God may have only happened once. This is the only time this type of thing is recorded in the Bible. So what you need to know is that Satan is probably not going to be able to attack you like he attacked Job. I don't think he's going to be able to attack me that way because, quite honestly, I don't think God would say to Satan, look at my servant Andy. He would not say, have you considered him? There is none like him on the earth. A blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil. Now I think that part, I hope that partially describes me, but I don't think God's saying there's none, there's no other person spiritually on the earth like me. So I would hazard to guess that in the kingdom of heaven, You don't have to worry about Satan coming in to God, if he even would be allowed in there, because the Bible doesn't tell us this goes on all the time. And say, I want to attack Jeff, or Nancy, or Ann, or somebody else, if that is any of your names here. So, what we need to understand about the devil in spiritual warfare is, and how it relates to suffering, the schemes of the devil... What he mainly tries to do in spiritual warfare is take the situation you find yourself in, the suffering and adversity that you are going through, and convince you to lose confidence and hope in God, even to the point his greatest victory would be to convince you that God is not a good God or that he doesn't even exist. So warfare can dim your hope. The second key word. Wisdom illuminates your hope. Now wisdom for Christians is the truth of God and what it says about Him in the Bible applied to your life. That's what wisdom is. Biblical truth applied to your life. Now we have... 35 chapters of conversation between Job and his friends recorded here. We're not going to dig in there, and don't worry, I'm not going to read all 35 chapters to you. But the question before us, if we could dig in there, and as I will summarize, is what wise words were spoken in these 35 chapters? Now, Job has three friends, Eliaphaz, Bildad, and Zophar. And here's the summary of their, quote, wise words to Job. The innocent prosper. The wicked suffer. So Job, you are suffering. Repent and own up to your own sins. Now is what they're saying biblical? The first thing is, there are allusions to all the things they have said in the Bible. And some of the things they said are quotations from the Bible. Okay? So let's stay there for a minute. So, Job, what is Job saying in the midst of this, if we summarize this chapter? Why is God doing this to me? I have been upright, yet I am suffering. And yet the wicked are prospering. Is what he says is saying biblical? Well, the part about the wicked prospering, that's in Psalm 73. The psalmist's question is, why do the wicked prosper? Great psalm to read. So the question is, is there. Is what Job's saying biblical? yes. Then, for the last set of chapters in this section, another person comes on the scene. He's a young man who has chosen not to interrupt this dialogue between these older men. His name is Elihu. And he actually rebukes Job and his friends, says, you're both wrong. And what he does is he proclaims God's greatness and majesty. So wisdom helps to illuminate our hope. But the question in this conversation over these 35 chapters is, who are the wise ones here? So to there, turn to the end of of the book of Job, chapter 42. See, this is a trick for understanding the Bible or any book you read. Before you read the whole thing... Read the, the beginning and end to sort of get an idea of the parameters. So I'm going to give my answer here. Who was wise? Listen to this. Chapter 42 of Job, verse 7. After the Lord had spoken these words to Job, the Lord said to Eliphaz the Temanite, My anger burns against you and against your two friends, for you have not spoken of me what is right which means they weren't wise. They weren't giving a correct, they weren't speaking for God and applying it to Job's life. As my servant Job has spoken about me. So, who was wise? Job was the wise one, and Elahu isn't mentioned here. So wisdom, the truth of the scriptures, helps to illuminate our hope. Third key word, Redemption is the foundation of your hope. Now, if you look at your outline, you'll see there is a break in the pattern there. When there's a break in the pattern in Scripture, it says, give attention to this. All the other words begin with W. This word begins with an R. Actually, there's also a break in the pattern in these 35 chapters of dialogue. Because up till this point, we heard Job's questions and doubts, and now we're hearing a strong statement of his conviction. Turn to Job chapter 19, verses 25 through 27. Job says this in the middle of the book. Conversation conversation's still going on. Job still has big questions, but this is what he says. For I know that my Redeemer lives, and at the last he will stand upon the earth, and after my skin has been thus destroyed, yet in my flesh I shall see God, whom I shall see for myself, and my eyes shall behold, and not another. My heart faints within me. Job believes that God is alive and at work and will vindicate him even in death. Job makes a proclamation about hope in a section of the book where the rest is lacking in hope on Job's part. Our hope is ultimately in a living Redeemer, Jesus Christ. The Bible tells us that every human being has sinned, you and me. And because of our sin, our relationship with God is broken both now and ultimately, we will not live with Him in eternity. But the Bible also tells us that God does not leave us here. The Bible tells us that Jesus Christ, who was fully God and fully man, came to earth, was born of a virgin... And eventually, grew up, ministered, and he died on the cross to pay the penalty for sin. And because he was fully man, he could die in our place as a substitute. And because he was fully God, that death could pay the price effectively for the sins of any who would repent of their sins and admit they were a sinner and believe that Jesus Christ died in their place and rose from the dead victorious and has saved them from their sin and that they will live with him for eternity. So redemption is the foundation of our hope. Our hope is ultimately in a living redeemer, Jesus Christ do you believe this morning fourth keyword worship brings your hope into focus worship brings your hope into focus turn to job chapter 38 35 chapters of conversation has come and gone Elihu has pointed pointed to the greatness of God and now God comes on the scene. Job's been asking for a hearing. God's God's now going to talk to him. Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, Who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Dress for action like a man. I will question you and you make it known to me. Where were you When I laid the foundation of the earth. Then turn over to chapter 40. Verse 3. The Lord answered, and Job answered the Lord and said, Behold, I am of small account, what shall I answer you? I lay my hand on my mouth. I have spoken once and I will not answer. Twice, but I will proceed no farther. Then the Lord answered Job. Out of the whirlwind. Here we go. Repetition again. Dress for action like a man breaking, breaking, uh, you know, breaking in there. Will you even put me in the wrong? Will you condemn me that you may be in the right? Have you an arm like God, and can you thunder with a voice like His? Worship brings our hope into focus. See, right here, God is calling Job to worship Him in a very direct and very attention-getting way. Now, here's where I think many of us find ourselves. Many believe that worship is something that happens to us when we come here on Sunday morning. That's not what worship is ultimately about. Worship is not something that happens to you. Worship is something that you do. The R word for worship comes from an old English word, worth-ship. And what that means is that we give God the attention He deserves. The original language words in the Bible for worship carry the sense of bowing down or falling down on our face. I once drove past a church when we were on vacation and they had a big banner out front of the church. Come for the worship, stay for the word. Here's the message they were given. When you're singing, you're worshiping. When you're listening to the pastor give the word of God, you're not. Now, I forgot to say this in the first service, especially because I think our worship leaders are wonderful. I like music as much as the next person. In fact, my wife would say, I like music more than most. But the reality is that listening to God speak is the center of worship. Okay? The Word gets the work done. God brought the world into existence through words. He speaks to us through His Word. So, this is not the order. Something happens to us and then we worship. Here is the order. You worship And something happens to you. God wants to touch your attention or what you think about him and the world around you. He wants to touch your affections. God does want to touch your emotions. Feelings are a good thing. And God wants to touch your actions. He wants you to apply the the truth of his word to how you live. So worship brings our hope into focus. Hear what it says in Ecclesiastes chapter 5 about worship. This is an interesting description of what our worship should be like. Guard your steps when you go to the house of God. Okay, let's just define that real well here. We've been in the Old Testament for the first part of this year. We talked about Ezra where they rebuilt the temple. God wants to dwell among his people. It, he, would dwell, he was dwelling among his people in the garden and they sinned and his presence went away. So he said, I'm going to be present with you first in a tent and then in a temple. And then I'm going to be present with you when I come and walk on the earth in the person of Jesus Christ. And then during our time, which we call the church age, between now and when the Lord returns and we live with him for eternity, God is present when his people gather together for worship. We, not the building, we gathered are the house of God during this age. So he says, guard your steps when you go to the house of God. To draw near to listen is better than to offer the sacrifice of fools, for they do not know what they are doing. Be not rash with your mouth, nor let your heart be hasty to utter a word before God. For God is in heaven, and you are on earth. Therefore, let your words be few. For a dream comes with much busyness, and a fool's voice with many words." When you vow a vow to God, they're talking about in the context of worship. When God, when you say, God, I'm going to obey you in the light of what I've heard in the Word. Do not delay paying it for. New, he has no pleasure in fools. Pay what you vow. Let your drop down to verse six. Let your mouth not lead you into sin, and do not say before the messenger that was a mistake. Verse seven. For many dreams increase and words grow many. And w- and words grow many, there is vanity, but God is the one you must fear. Worship is giving your attention to God. And at the end of this section, in the beginning of verse 42, Job says this. He says, I had heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now, after this worship experience with God, now my eyes see you. Worship brings hope into focus. Word number five, the last one. Welcome is the outcome of hope. At the end of the book here, what we see in chapter 42 is that Job's fortunes have been restored. He's been welcomed back into a full relationship. And it says in verse 10 of of chapter 42, And the Lord gave Job twice as much as he had before. And then it says in verse 12, And the Lord blessed the latter days of Job more than his beginning. And it says this in verse 14. And after this, Job lived 140 years and saw his sons and his sons' sons four generations. And Job died an old man and full of days. So welcome is the outcome of our hope. But the question we have here, when we read about the glorious end of this story, everything was restored after a time of suffering into better than it was before. Is this what we are to expect? And if we don't receive that in our time... Will we still have the same questions about God? And my answer to you is yes and no. Listen to what it says. This is what Jesus says in the book of Mark. Mark 10:28 Peter began to say to him, "See you have left ev- See we have left everything and followed you." Jesus said, "Truly I say to you that no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children's or land for my sake and for the gospel No one has done that who will not receive a hundredfold now in, look at the word there, this time. Houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands and and persecutions. And in the age to come, eternal life. You see, I want you to have hope that the outcome of your suffering is welcome. That God wants to restore something in your life or bring something new into your life as a result of your suffering. So yes, you should expect something. But what you need to understand is, in this time until Jesus comes, That may not be physical restoration of what you've lost, but instead spiritual restoration. You see, Jesus says that you will receive these things in this time. But what does he refer to? Houses. The house of God. Brothers, sisters, mothers and children. That's what you have no matter what you lose. That's what you have here in the family of God. In this time. And even that type of blessing is going to come with persecutions. So no we can't expect the same type of welcome that Job received. But we can expect something that su- is sufficient for our needs at the time, knowing that there's going to be something better in eternity. Listen to 2 Corinthians 4, 16-18. For this light momentary affliction, now, That's a perspective statement. You may not feel like your affliction is light and momentary. But Paul is saying for this light momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look to the things that are as we look not to the things that are seen, not the material things, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. So yes, there's a word of hope found in Job that no matter what difficulty you're going through, that God will welcome you into a reality that he wants you to have now. That sufferings and adversity are preparing us ultimately for a welcome into a magnificent eternity. So the question I have for you now is as you're going through suffering and difficulty, first of all, what do you recognize that God has given you? Second, to ask this question, what does he want to give you now That you know from his truth in the Bible that you're not recognizing. And thirdly, what will he give you for eternity? So, we've come to the conclusion. When you lose hope, hope in God. The book of Job has shown us five key words. Warfare, it's important as you're suffering that you know your enemy Wisdom, as you're going through suffering, know and apply biblical truth to your life. Redemption, trust in the cross and the empty tomb. Your Redeemer lives and so will you. Worship, it's something you do, not something you feel. And finally, welcome. Recognize what God has given, what he will give instead of what you have lost and what he will give you for eternity. Let's pray. Almighty God, and I call you that first thinking of God's calling Job to worship and look at who you really are. And yet I also come to you and say, Heavenly Father, because you are a caring Father. There are those who are suffering here right now to varying degrees. And my prayer for them would be that they would hope in God. That they would see your wondrous love for them. That they would recognize the wonderful work of Jesus on the cross in their behalf. And that we as a body would help each other to look towards you, to have hope, to believe your promises, and to tell that to the world. We pray these things in the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. My name's Chip. I'm the lead pastor here at King's Cross Church. Thank you so much for listening to our podcast. We hope that you're growing in the gospel as we work our way through the story. Take a moment to subscribe and you'll get each week's episode automatically. May the grace and peace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you all.